It's episode 163 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is James Cannon. Hello, thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Hello, hello. thank you. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. I would like you to tell me about Lemprov. What's Lemprov. that? Lemprov is, as the name might suggest, uh, improv in Levington Spa. It's, it's uh, as far as I know, one of the few improv group names that's not formed by some sort of in-joke that happened at some point. It was purely a portmanteau, a practical portmanteau. It's yeah. It's the as as far as I'm aware, the premier first and only uh, improv group running in Leamington Spa that, that we've set up. Tell me how it all got started. Uh, the <laughs> the short version of it is I moved down this to Leamington. This is I, not a podcast for brevity. <laughs> very true. The short version I tell people is it, I moved down to Leamington Spa. Uh, I liked doing improv, and there wasn't any, so I started some. <laughs> Uh, so that's the, the basics of it. Uh, I yeah, I fell into it, fell in love with it when I was at university up in Sheffield. There's, of course, a, a great improv scene that happens up there, which has very much got me into it. I thought naively into the world, like, of course, there'll be improv anywhere I go. I'll go down to Levington Spa and uh, cricket noises around. <laughs> so I yeah, fell in with a few groups in uh, with uh, Fat Penguin, as it was back in, back in the day, pre-pandemic. It's now, that's now folded as uh, as an improv company, I believe. Uh, fell in with them, started doing stuff with that and got encouraged to, because they wanted to expand out into doing short form because they were very, mainly a long form group and I'm a, I'm a short form person at heart. So they encouraged me to start teaching. I said, okay, I'll work with you to teach, but I've, it's got to be in Leamington Spa because it's a, it's a trek to get out to Birmingham every time I want to do some improv. So I, yeah, I, yeah, we took it upon ourselves. I just, it, it's a, it's a vulnerable moment to put yourself out into the world saying, yes, for the first time, I'm running an improv group. Does anyone want to join me? Because <laughs> there wasn't anyone who was in the Birmingham group who was commutable enough to Leamington Spa to work it, to keep supporting it off the ground. So it was very much a kind of, well, it's, it's me. I'm going to throw my heart open to the world and get people in and people have people came in people have been coming in quite a lot it's because it's not a, it's not a massive place it's Leamington Spa I'm constantly surprised by just how many people how many new people especially we get through the doors into into Lemprov and surprised by the demand for it fantastic so tell me all your secrets about how you got people <laughs> to come along to uh, do your first um your first uh sessions it uh, took us a little bit of trial and error. We spent a, uh, I spent quite an inordinate amount of money on Facebook ads over the first year or so that it was running. Uh, and that got us, I think, exactly one person turned yeah. up through that, through £10 a week for about a year of funding that and not worth it at all. Uh, using meetup, word of mouth, and uh, just joining other societies and, yeah, just word of mouth through other groups seems to be the best way of doing it. We've had, yeah, meetups has been uh, a godsend. Everyone keeps, finds us through that. Because I suppose that's, you get a crowd of there of people who are looking for some, people who are specifically looking for improv and people who are looking for niche, interesting, fun things to do in Leamington Spa. And we've had, which has worked quite well to get people in. 
that we did quite a lot of social media posting for the first time to start it up again. But once it gets going, you get people who genuinely walk by, think that sounds quite funny. I wonder what that is. Stick their head in, ask about it. And then a couple of weeks later, when they have time, turn up, say, oh, yeah, I found you guys by, by sheer happenstance. Wow. Well, you've, you've really had what, people just walking by going, oh, I can hear people having a laugh. And then yeah. they'll, they'll come along. That's amazing. <laughs> we've had that. We've had uh, when we finally started getting into shows, we've had a, a person join who walked past, didn't have a ticket to the show, just saw the sign outside, thought, ah, oh, Lemprov, that sounds cool. Googled us and then turned up from that. It, it's the f- first instance of that working that I've, I've seen. Wow, that's really amazing. I'm not surprised that the Facebook ads didn't have the results, that you know, they didn't reap rewards that you wanted. But I am, uh, I am impressed by uh, just being out and about and it just snowballing from there. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm constantly surprised by how people find us and root us out. It's, yeah, a lot of it through, gets through word of mouth. A lot of it goes through, uh, now we're having shows. People have told other people about that who, get, who then mention the show, then come along and find us. It's, it's surprising just how many people we get through the doors in various ways. I just want to go back to those early days. So mm-hmm. was it a drop-in? Was it a course? What did you start with? So it's uh, the same format we've got today, essentially. It's just evolved over time. I started off by thinking, right, I've got 12 pretty solid workshops that I think I can run for various short form skills that I can kind of run on a loop uh, to have it as a drop-in because there's no, uh, talent's the wrong word, but there's no established scene. So there's, I don't know anyone who's good at improv, doing improv in Leamington Spa back then. So my thought was, well, if I can't do it, I'll teach it. So running it was from the very beginning, it was planned as this is going to be a drop-in workshop for anyone who wants to have a crack at it. I'll happily teach you as much as I can. And hopefully we'll get people who stick around who enjoy it, who build up a, a, a skill set and see if we can grow from there. So it started off in the first year very much as a drop-in workshop but on that sort of rotating 12, top, 12 topics as it was going around and going through. We had a, a little room in a pub, which was, uh, oh, this is it is going to be like the, the rock star story of like, oh, we started off in this small thing and tiny. We had a small room in a pub, which uh, we managed to wangle for free, which was excellent on the proviso that other people may have providence to book it and book it before us because they're paying, which <laughs> resulted in a few of us being kicked out last minute by an angling society a few times, which was... <laughs> uh, classic anglers, yeah. Yeah, which my theory was, uh, because I'd not really taught properly before, I'd done the odd workshop here and there up in Sheffield, but I'd not been the teacher. So my plan was to run through the 12 weeks and feed back on myself of, okay, this worked with this group, this didn't necessarily work with this group, tweak it here and there, and then I could go back from the start and iterate in this almost agile methodology of this worked, this didn't, this worked, this didn't. And then the teaching would also grow as the group did. And that methodology has been carried over kind, kind of since the idea of running through workshops, feeding back, this works, this hasn't, this worked with the group, this hasn't with the group. Why do I think that's the case? The next time we revisit it, I'll have tweaked it, I'll have moved it on, I'll have updated it somewhat. Uh, that happened for roughly a year. So we started up on, I believe, the 4th of March 2019 was our very first workshop. And we managed to get to uh, a good, relatively good crowd of people, I think about nine or so regulars, until we got to uh, March 2020, when we did our very first show, and then no more for two years, would you believe? 
Oh no! Oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so well, tell tell me about this 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 one show then. Uh, how did you? When did you know you were ready to go from having the regular classes to actually putting on a show? It was uh, mainly because we keep getting a trickle through of, of people through. It's it's quite hard, I find at least, to judge people in isolation given that uh, the majority of the people that we had for the show had not done improv before, before joining Lemprov. It's a tricky thing to, for someone to say, right, I believe your show ready, when you've never said that to a person before. To have the confidence to say, I know how good it takes to be a show, and now you're it, that you weren't before. It's a strange threshold to have. The, the way I managed to judge it was because we had a constant trickle of new people in, I could judge how far people had come based on, okay, you're, they're, they were constantly dropping workshops, so we constantly, well, Every now and then we'd have a little trickle of new people going in and I'd be able to see how much they've grown based off the reactions. So, okay, this is what the stage you were at before. It's a very stark contrast to where you are now. I think we're on our own to hold the show. Where we had, in, I think it was four or five people who were, right, you guys are, are good enough to, to host a short form show with what I've taught you. I'll be happy to go and host it and we'll see, we'll see how that goes. How did it go? Uh, it wasn't the best. <laughs> we, <laughs> I think it was Will Hines' book. I read that no one's first improv show is their best improv show, and that was true. So it was nice to get it out of the way. Yeah, and, it was... and also it would be awful if that was the best. For yes. it's like, oh well, we've peaked. Everything <laughs> else is now going to be worse. All downhill from here. Yeah, exactly. And was this so, in the same pub that you were rehearsing? Uh, that you were having your sessions in? Uh, no, the pub was the room we had was small and awkward, and in no just about okay for a workshop, not at all fit for a show. But at the time, we were twinned with Fat Penguin. Right. So they had, a, they had a nice upstairs room, which had a stage, and they had regular shows on a Thursday. So we thought, okay, brilliant. We'll, can, yeah, can we open for one of your Thursday slots? But sure. Uh, they had been, even before they folded in the pandemic, I think the Thursday slot shows have been struggling for a while. I think we had about four, five people in the audience, and we brought three of them. <laughs> so a, for, as we, I was trying to do as an energetic short-form show, it's... It was a tricky one to land for that audience. <laughs> if the audience outnumber the uh, members of the uh, the team performing, then that's <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's true. The guys the guys did great. They put on yeah. The guys did great performing wise. It was quite a a strange vibe. Yeah, but that but the whole thing is that you know you learn to be good at being on stage by being on stage. I think it's kind of true. There's no real substitute. For it. You know, if you're in a workshop and you're doing it, it's very much everyone else here is here to learn. There's less of an, there's no, not so much an error of judgment. There's no one's paid to see how good you are at improv. Whereas when you suddenly go to a show, you've maybe brought family and friends and say, hi, I'm doing this for the first show. Do you want to come and support me? As well as the pressure of there's members of the public who've genuinely paid money to see what you can do, which is as, as lovely and supportive as improv audiences, well, as improv audiences are. You still always have that in the back of your mind that you there is an expectation for you to be good. And there's something about performing for an audience which changes the experience, whether it's the energy, the reaction, or just the kind of you know you, you're like being forged in fire. And you know I probably respect people that want to do improv and don't want to perform, but I I think they are missing out on a certain aspect of it. I, yeah, I'd agree with you on that one. It's uh, as every, yeah, if you do a rehearsal for a show, it will always have a different energy to the show. The show itself will have, 
uh, I don't know what it is, the extra bit of pressure, the extra bit of magic. You so we a lot of the times the shows are better than the rehearsals. You get such great lines coming out of people that you didn't expect to happen. But because of the I, I don't know what it is, the the pressure of people being watched, the being so much in the moment, it all it all comes together in a different way, which is just a joy to behold. Yeah. Yeah. I and and then it kind of once you've done that, it kind of feeds into your experiences in uh, you know, in uh, when you're doing, you know, workshops and things like that. So uh mm -hmm. yeah. Amazing. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to name all twelve topics. <laughs> can you can you give us a couple of couple of maybe two or three of what were the the two or three topics that were on your uh, initial um, uh, curriculum? <laughs> uh, they've evolved a bit since then, but the the ones that I the key ones that I did a lot and the ones I like enjoy doing are there's uh, of course the basics in there. To here's the the key ground rules. Uh, one on spontaneity on trying to get people to learn about what being outside your head is like one on character work on basically not being yourself be someone else on stage to get that forward one on mime and physicality to get prop work in there to explore the audience in there one on emotion for throwing emotion into into scenes on stage how you can best use that uh one on oh you tested me now <laughs> <laughs> you've already given me loads you've already given me loads so i don't need to um put you on the spot um what i think um they're all fantastic um obviously i'm really interested in the fact that you do want a specific on mime and physicality because i think that's really important so i separate that out uh, this is somewhat of a tangent now uh, you can stop me if you want me to go back to explain to talk about mime physicality but I split the mime and physicality out into three sections. Uh, I'll explain why in a second. Uh, I've got one on uh, like object mime. So here's how you can mime something with a bit of weight into it, mime passing it to something, make sure there's object permanence in there. Uh, I do one on environment. So it's just to explore, yes, of course there's a sofa there, that's permanent, but it's just casual things like that, leaning on a counter to build up an environment that you can interact with to build the scene around and one on physicality of how you hold yourself. Because it's one thing to be a character, but it's also one thing of how you move your weight, how you feel kind of like uh, what you're wearing, whether you're old, whether you're a large being, whether you're a small being, being able to carry that weight around, uh, which leads into character somewhat, but I like splitting that out into those three things. I think they're three very distinct skills. The mime one, yeah, the mime one with a, the, uh, a miming and object permanence game that I really love. I'm gonna give this one out. Uh, it's not mine, I learned it in Sheffield nothing, nothing in improv is sake, but the knowledge you get to it I love a game called uh, The Temple of Doom whereby it's portrayed as in silent movie fashion, so uh, minimal sound, yeah, you can have some sound effects but no dialogue, very over-exaggerated movements of uh, one player enters an Indiana Jones-esque Temple of Doom and is very clearly killed by some sort of mechanism blow darts or a, a big weight falling on the big boulder uh, and they're dead. The second person enters the Temple of Doom, finds the first thing, and very clearly finds a way around the around danger. Uh, they put a big plank over the over the spikes, they dodge the darts, and then get immediately killed by a second trap. And then the third person comes in, has to remember where what the traps were, where they were, until you have this big chain of corpses and this guy doing the, the full Takeshi's Castle style run through all these ridiculous obstacles to finally get to the treasure at the end. It's it's lovely to see people remember, act out clearly where it is and find out, yeah, find out ingenious ways of getting around it. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic game. And 
And a nice thing about that, and it's maybe not primarily trying to teach it, but in addition to all the kind of the space work and everything, is learning to lose the scene. Sometimes, you know, you need to lose for the scene to, to work or something like that. So that's that's a nice extra extra bonus lesson that it may not be deliberately teaching, but I think it probably does anyway. That's true. That's a good point of the only way for this to work is for you to fail at this task. There's, there's, the, there's the winning in improv is by making an entertaining scene, not by doing the task well. The, yes. uh, uh, I'm going to... Uh, one of the yeah, one of the phrases they call me up on the workshops is I keep saying I always cite my sources. Like like an academic, I cite my sources, but like a true academic, I cite the source that I remember most easily, not the original source. <laughs> the phrase I'm going to attribute to I'm going to attribute to Jack from Strike is no one leaves an improv show saying, "Boy, they sure fixed that bike." <laughs> it doesn't matter whether the bike got fixed or not, but it's it's about how the people felt while trying to get the bike fixed. The people care. No one, no one, no one cares about the task being being completed successfully. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so you did your first show, uh, then you went into lockdown. Did you go online for lockdown? Yes, we in, like the very first week we went into Zoom because and tried to do improvise Zoom because there wasn't a whole lot else to do in the evenings anymore. So we figured <laughs> we'd give it a whirl. We never did any Zoom shows. I, yeah, it, it ties back nicely into the idea of when you're on stage, there's some extra bit of magic there. I've watched a couple of improv shows uh, on, done via Zoom that were technically very good, but I personally, I didn't really quite like it. I didn't gel because there wasn't the, the magic of a whole audience together being in that moment. I think that's something that really makes improv special. So we kept up with the workshops a lot, but I don't think we never tried to do a show i don't think it would be yeah my, my personal opinion improv hot takes i think uh, <laughs> doing a doing a show over zoom specifically not uh, workshops and jams excellent they work quite well but specifically doing a show for other people to watch doesn't have that same magic and i don't think given we were all optimistic that eventually we'd be doing improv back into person again i thought it'd be better to work on skills that were more relatable to out of zoom improv so we could hit the ground running again and say look cool we're back again we're doing shows it's all happening in reality again that's yeah I, it could very well be an incorrect opinion but that was that was my opinion that's how we ran things we did a lot of a lot of jams via zoom we did a lot of we played with the format where we could we did a lot of uh, film dub a lot of playing around with filters uh played played an awful lot of just a minute we got very good at that <laughs> <laughs> And yes, well, we mentioned um, that's one of the things that I think works amazingly well online that doesn't work quite so well face to face is the dubbing when you're when you're playing a video and then you're getting people to, uh, you know, dub the voices on at the top. That works so well online. It's a, it's a really beautiful it, thing to see. Oh, it really does. I had so much fun playing around with YouTube, trying to find old clips of film and television shows that people could dub over the top. Uh, a surprise, surprise thing I found with that. Uh, what was a wealth of really good clips for it is uh, adults teaching English as a second language videos done by the BBC because it consists of two people in a familiar setting in a very clear, I am talking and pointing at something, now I have stopped. Another person has a moment of recognition, now I am talking and pointing at something, which is exactly the format you want for film dub to make it very clear. It turns out that those videos are a goldmine. Fantastic. That's a, that's a top tip. I know that when I organised it, I tended to just find things that I knew people liked. Mm -hmm. So we had um, one person who was a big Neighbours fan. So I just found a classic episode of Neighbours just because <laughs> I thought it would be fun 
I mean, partly because I, I think if you love something and then you get to play in that world in improv, that's a really fun thing. But also it's fun when it's fun when you're performing something where one person knows about the thing and then the other person doesn't. And I think there's a really there's a really fun dynamic there. Oh, that, that, I love doing that. That was great when you had that moment of someone recognises, for, for example, this episode of Thunderbirds or whatever it was I was doing, and the other person has no clue. We had a, oh, we had a lovely moment where we had uh, a, an American gentleman on, and I played a clip from the Chucker Brothers. And of course, <laughs> he had no clue as to what the Chucker Brothers were, and everyone else was giving it all this to me, to you, like, yeah, sure, whatever if you want. <laughs> that was lovely to see. <laughs> it is fun and when you're in the audience it's like especially if you know what it is and then it's yeah no, it's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing um and then and then we came back mm-hmm. and what have you been up to since we've been back uh well, since we've come back that's truly been i think the renaissance of lemprov it was around 10-ish people i think at most would get 10 people in a workshop for the first year or so then went online that was fluctuating that was that uh, and what we've got back in person, we found a, a community centre in Leamington Spa, which has got loads of room for us, loads of chairs, which is perfect for us. It's so much, it's so much better. We've been growing from strength to strength. We've got, we've been going for coming up to uh, in like March, April time. That'll have been two years in person meetings. Uh, now our numbers are bouncing anywhere between uh, roughly seventeen to twenty-five people every workshop. <laughs> which is, it's lovely to see. It's been steadily growing over the, you see it bouncing around, but the trend's been growing from around 15 a workshop up to averaging about 20, up to coming to 25, which is, I think our record's been 25, 26, which has been absolutely lovely to see. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. I think we, we do very well in that uh, there's a lot of improv going on in Leicester, a lot going on in Birmingham, and quite a bit in Cheltenham. But anywhere inside that circle, then it's uh, we get all that catchment area going in. <laughs> I think it also helps with uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leap back into like almost like we set it up. We leap back to earlier when I mentioned that I split out mime into three separate things. I don't have twelve workshops that I go through anymore. Uh, I've got a a collection of themed months that I go through. When setting out Lemprov, my idea was. I just want to do Lemprov. I just want to do improv. If this is a, a teaching it's the way to be, so be it. I want to do improv. But it's morphed into now that I very much enjoy the teaching aspect of it now. I've really fallen, fallen in love with that. And it's become the motto of just making more improv happen in Leamington's bar is the overall game of it. So we still have the workshops open to everybody. And now we've got a good, a good range of skills from very skilled players who've been doing it for a number of years right down to people who walk in for their first workshop. I know anyone can go for it. So given we've got a limited access of teaching, the way we got around that, instead of having a skilled night, intermediate night, a not so a very beginner's night, uh, we came up with the idea of themed months. So now the way we run it is every month, we the first Monday of the month, we do improv on Mondays. The first Monday of the month is always, here's this idea to start with. For example, if it's, uh, characters. Then I do a character workshop on. Here's the, here's the very basic idea. Here's loads of techniques you can do to inspire yourself to try and be someone else. Moving into more complicated ideas of well, if you've already got established ideas for characters, here's alternatives you can try. Getting more into characters, and then depending on how long the month is, going up to the end of yeah, I think it was fast food Laban, which uh, Keith Johnston we did once. 
we're, just, we're writing down character properties on lists and reading off that to go through to trying some of the more advanced experimental stuff. So the idea is that if it's your very first time during the very first week, you'll be you'll be welcomed. You'll be stuff that you can get involved with straight away and get your get up to your elbows in. And if you've been around for ages, you can stick around and eventually the stuff at the further end will be the more experimental stuff to challenge you to give you that. And that seems to have balanced it out fairly nicely in terms of how uh, how one person teaching can teach to the, the widest possible range of skill sets. Wow, that sounds amazing. So, so ideally, it doesn't matter which month people start, but you would encourage them to join at the start of the month. Is that how it works? Yes. So if we get new people, yeah, if we get new people, it all starts up with uh, here's yes and. Yes and the basics. How can you apply yes and to, uh, for example, spontaneity? Well, it doesn't matter what you say. As long as you say something, you can then add that's a massive yes. And then you can and it later. Just getting outside your head and spontaneity off that is the idea that, yeah, every, yeah, every, the idea is it's meant to be a drop in workshop. So everyone's, everyone's as welcome as, yeah, everyone's always going to be welcome in any of the workshops. The idea right. is if you, that we have, because we have this range, we learn how something for to suit every skill level. Uh, going into nerdy teachery bits here, the zone of possible development, I think that's what it's called, ZPD. The idea is that people will only learn, you've only got a certain space about the body of knowledge of which you will learn. If something's too basic for you, you're not going to learn anything. If something's far too advanced for you, you're not going to learn anything. So you need something that's just enough to challenge you a bit above what you already know. The idea is that if we if we go from one end of the spectrum right the way up to the other end, then eventually then people will hit that zone somewhere along it. There will be there will be learning for everyone during these workshops. That sounds that sounds fantastic. You you pride yourself on being an open for all community. Yes, yes, we do. It's the we get a lot of good feedback from people saying how much they feel supported in Lemprov, which is which is lovely to see. Lovely to see. To see, it's really nice to that people. I aim for that, and people have apparently uh, given us feedback saying that's true. We got a lot of. Uh, we have a few safeguarding techniques in there. We have, of course, a charter for if you've been, uh, three, if you've been there three weeks, then sure, we're a very loose collective. But if you've been there three weeks, sign up to this thing for standard behaviour guidelines, so everyone's very much on the same page. Uh, somewhat after the after the last British Improv project, I've started bringing out uh, again, citing my sources. I started bringing out the invisible metaphorical table from your workshop, Stuart, which everyone, everyone's been a big fan of. It's worked really well. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's really lovely. It's really great. That's one of the things I love about British Improv Project is that you get to meet people from around, um, you know, the country and beyond, and then you're able to go, here's an idea I've had, and then people take it back. Um, for the benefit of the listeners, who I have not... Um, <laughs> I will now explain what the... Uh, what's on the table exercise, as I call it, is. Um, it's just at the start of a uh, workshop, I asked the person to my right or to my left to um, help me carry in a mind um, imaginary table, but it's also a metaphorical table. And the idea being that what's on the table for today's session, and we can take things off the table. I always take off modern politics <laughs> or part party political things from 1979 onwards but it can also be an opportunity um, for people to share if they've got any physical spiritual uh, mental anything anything that we need to share 
that makes that means we can play safely uh, and have fun time in the session. And the, also the thing is that we then take the table away, um, but we can bring out the table again uh, at any point, and we can have a discussion about you know what what's what's what what's going to happen, what's on the table, and what's not on the table. So it's really lovely that you've used that. I've, um, it's it's become genuinely a good tool. We've had uh, for a staple now. We've had uh, sort of a unspoken blanket ban on politics and coronavirus mainly because we were that that emerged when we were doing the coronavirus that well we've heard plenty enough about that we didn't become become doing improv to try and escape from it and it's become people yeah people have been it's more overt people are happier bringing up stuff Uh, i've seen people who've recently had like they've lost a pet recently so they don't want to have anything to do with that do with that pet take it off absolutely fine Recently, we've had a few people take economics off the table specifically, which is like, wow. all right, fine. Yeah. But if you want to escape from the troubles of the modern world, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just because improv can be about anything, it doesn't mean it should be about everything. And it just, some, well, it's like any art, really. If you place some restrictions, it's easier to kind of create art and just maybe just go in, to go to other places that you might not always go to. So, you know, that's why. You know, we can also put things on the table that we particularly do want to explore. But uh, that's really lovely that you're using that. I'm really pleased with that. <laughs> oh, I'm, glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Thank you for introducing it to me. <laughs> and uh, you have a jam at the end of every month. How do you make yes, the jam do. not a terrible thing? <laughs> uh, we have a small stage we pull out in the, the, the community centre of which we work in. Uh, we've got loads of chairs. We have its because it, we don't tend to advertise it out too much as like come one come all paying tickets you can see a jam happen it may like if you want to have a go you can have a go because at the community center's like off the beaten track we don't have uh, facilities to serve refreshments it's essentially just a hall so it's not quite the right environment for everyone to come along and have it as a big event but having it as a smaller one if you want to do improv cool here's a place to do it to have zero pressure for learning have have yourself have a go which is it's worked quite well. We've got quite a few people in. We have people come bring their friends and family to it as a way of saying, hey, ha- watch me have a go at this, but without the pressure of this being a show with a full-on audience. We have a... Uh, we fall into a, a nice little niche where we have a big old box of hats because one of our members had a, a small collection of hats, which they brought once, which has now grown to a large collection of donated hats. <laughs> to do, get a suggestion, have a moment to think, cool, dive off stage, grab some hats, dive back onto the stage again and take it away from there and we yeah we take if you want to have a go write your name put it on thematically of course a hat yeah write your name and a piece of paper stick it in a hat uh we'll pull names out of the hat and see who gets to play various different improv games fantastic and you and you say you're getting people and they're doing the jam first is that their way into improv uh some people who want to have a so we have some people who are a bit more experienced about it who aren't, who've travelled up. We have a few from Birmingham who want to just have a go and play with some new people who turn up every now and then, which is always nice to see. Uh, we get people who want to show off. Yeah, it's a way of being open for all. People tend to use, people have used it as a way of, they want to say, hey, look, come and see me do improv. But don't, maybe they don't feel quite ready for a show or there's not a show that's available to them immediately that they can say, hey, Here's a space for you to watch me do my funny thing that I'd like to I'd like to involve you in that I'd like to show you, which is which is yeah always great to see. Fantastic! I have this theory that basically long form and short form it's all improv and it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
it's not all the same thing, but it sort of is all the same thing. So the things that you learn for short form skills, you can then apply to long form. And the things you learn in long form, you can then apply to your short form games. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. It, uh, yeah, originally started this off advertising it specifically as I'm teaching short form. I enjoy short form. I'm good at short form. Therefore, I am better at teaching short form. Therefore, I will teach short form. That's then evolved slightly over the years as we get more people in with a wider, who end up with a wider interest in improv who want to explore long form. We're at a we're at interesting and an interesting splinter point at the moment where we've reached the uh, reaching a critical mass of we have enough people who want to do long form, who potentially want to put together a, a permanent long form troupe to create a splinter off. And we're, we're Lemprov succeeding, we're making more improv happen in Lemington. That's the that's the whole gain of it. Which is it lovely to lovely to see happen, as much as it is like oh the Lemprov's my bit yeah yeah genuinely I'll be vulnerable for a moment here it, you do get some feelings of I am the whole creator of improv in Lemington I should all this should be within Lemprov's domain which is of course a patently ridiculous a ridiculous stance to have but you do get a twinge of like oh you guys were part of me and now you're being your own thing but we do have enough we have been doing long form shows under Lemprov under the Lemprov banner for. Uh, ooh, coming up to about eight months now we've been doing them. Well, we have enough people who want to do a long form and specifically work towards a long form show. We meet up on a separate night who host mostly, yeah, mostly self-organized to run through with that. The, so we're, yeah, we're mixing, mixing and matching a bit. Now that's happening more. I'm, and we have also now the structure of the jams. It's getting a bit more fluid to the point of I'll teach improv skills that will work in long form or work in short form rather than specifically short form stuff. And then the jams, oh, it's a short form jam. If you want to practice short form games, that's the place to go for. And then if then the skills are more applicable if you want to try out long form stuff, or if you want to try out or if you want to try out short form stuff, it gives the people a bit more flexibility. What uh, what what sort of uh, format has the long form group been doing? Uh, they've done a few different ones. They've done uh, they're doing a show called The Long Shots, which is uh, essentially, it's a, essentially for the improv nerds out there, it's a Harold. Uh, Boo. Boo the Harold. <laughs> Boo the Harold. <laughs> the way they make it fun is instead of getting suggestions from the audience, uh, we give them all crayons and a piece of paper and they draw a picture. And then we, we, get, we have a little washing line and put out the best, best three pictures. And those pictures form the pillars of the Harold, just inspired by the, inspired by the drawings people do with crayons, which is lovely. Oh, that get, now that is lovely. Actually, that is really nice. We get yeah, them all to we get them all to fold them into a paper airplanes and throw them at a box. And the, either we pick three from the box, or most more coffin, well, as normally happens, the three that are nearest to the box <laughs> get, get picked. Like, cool, those are the ones that do the Harold. Uh, the way it's been done before has been uh, a, a quick Harold for the first half, have an interval, and then uh, on the way out to get drinks, we give all the audience a star sticker. And then on the way back in, hang out all the pictures that have been thrown and everyone gets to vote on their favourite one. And that becomes the inspiration for the second half of the show. That's really lovely, actually. And I think I think my problem, my problem with the Herald is that um, I want people to innovate and I want people to come up with their own formats. And it's yes, fine, do the Herald if you like. Um, but I, I, I want, you know, let's 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 create our own new things rather than just doing old formats. But having said that, those pictures, that's really lovely. That's, I've not seen that before. That's a really beautiful thing. 
it's a lovely way of introducing the audience to a Harold as, as to Ratha explaining, right, what we're going to do is nine scenes, each relating to the, look, do a crayon drawing and throw a picture out. They're in a lovely mood to start off with. They'll give, they'll, they'll forgive the fact when they realise, hang on a minute, this is a Harold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's, um, that's the long form. Um, as, you, yeah. as you say that you really love short form, Tell me your favorite. Teach me. Teach me what's your favorite game. Teach me your favorite game. Is is there? Ooh. Is and also is there something? I'm sort of buying you time to think. Um, <laughs> is there something that you play uh, where you are that you don't think anyone plays anywhere else, or that you play a different variation, or just teach me an important uh, short form game, whatever. whatever. Answer that. I'm going to buy myself some time and uh, jump back to you. Said you want people to innovate, you want people to push. Uh, I, I missed you. I've not done the most, the hardest research ever, but I don't think anyone, as far up to my knowledge at least, has yet done an improvised pantomime except for us. <laughs> Which is that, that yeah, that the long form cast. We did a Christmas show. We did some Christmassy short form games, and we uh, credit to the long form guys. They did. I I can't take credit for this. They they work really hard on this. Which is essentially it's beat prop. We've got. In pantomime, there will be a dame. They will throw sweets at people. There will be a thief behind you. See, there'll be two goofy characters who help the villain uh, to hit all those points. They worked really hard to get that format down, and it was ah, it was beautiful. It was a, it was a love. Yeah, they they pulled together an improv pantomime, which was which was amazing to see. Genuinely, the best show I think that Lemprov has done. Fantastic. Teach <laughs> me a short prom game. <laughs> The one that we like playing with, we'd, uh, we've had variations on uh, a di diamond or pan left or TV channels or Foursquare as anyone, uh, the game with so many names. Explain, 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 because I, I think I know what you mean, but explain it for anybody that hasn't, uh, if so, you can. It's, you know, it's, it's harder to do just in an audio <laughs> format. But. The idea with this is we have uh, four people standing in a square, to create a square. Uh, if you're looking at the two people at the front of the stage, they're performing a scene. If we rotate the square clockwise, we have uh, a different pairing who are performing a different scene. We rotate back to anti-clockwise, it's the same scene. Uh, like flipping between television channels, it is. Uh, so we have four different scenes. You can flip back between, between them. Uh, this is one that we came up with for a, uh, a Valentine's Day-themed show uh, uh, with, not, yeah, with Miss Imp. Uh, they invited us down for a Valentine's-themed show. And we created the relationship diamond uh whereby we had for for the sake of yeah it's yeah not the best for inclusivity but for keeping the mind straight in the audience it was lined up boy girl boy girl in the diamonds and the idea is whichever face of the whichever face of the square you're at it's the same couple it's the same couple at varying points in their relationship so what we do is we get a we get a milestone, a relationship milestone for each face, and it's like it's the same couple, but at just different points. They can reference things that happened in the past, and we go back to where that thing happened and how they. Uh, every time we've run it, someone shouted divorce. So we find the point at which they resent each other, and then uh, we had genuinely someone shout out. We shout out. We get people, the audience to ask, uh, "What's a relationship milestone you would like to reach?" And we get people. When one person shouts out, "Growing old together," it's like, "Oh, that was lovely." And people oh. going back. And Remedy said, remember that time when you spilled wine all over the waiter and you had to give him a huge tip and they'd have to go back to, of course, that happened. So we go back to an earlier point in the scene where there's a dramatic scene in the in the restaurant, but they've got to spill wine over the waiter as well. It was that that worked really quite well for us. I like that. 
I love that. I have not heard that before. And that is a that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I've played pan left lots and you know, I like it as a format. Although it's I think it's actually a more nuanced game than people give it credit for. And I've been taught it, say in the first, you know, beginners course I've attended. And it's like actually there's a lot more going on here. Um but yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Where you've 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 made everybody all the different all the different pairings actually playing the same characters. I love multi-rolling. I think that's just a beautiful thing to see. And yeah, there's just the listening that must go on between the different people playing it. Oh no, that's amazing. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. No, I'm glad. It's uh, the following in the tradition of improv formats being given a name their creator dislikes, as in uh, Del Close hated Harold, was called Harold. Amanda Diaz didn't want the Amanda called the Amanda Diaz. Uh, the group have decided that this game that we and myself, James Cannon, have come up with shouldn't be called the Relationship Diamond. It should be called the Love Cannon because it's repeating parts. It's also all one thing and because it works as like a canon, like of one single truth. So it fits in many levels, but I'm not introducing a game on stage called Now You're Going to See the Love <laughs> Cannon. No, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I refuse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you've explained it. I can, I can see what the problem is going to be. <laughs> cool so you've been doing all this stuff uh where you're based but you and then you've been taking and you've been going around the country and and that's amazing i i think that's great tell me about that that's been yeah one of the things i start when i started off lemprov with being that at the time i was a one-man band one-man band doing it was i'm i'm not an improv guru i don't know anything about improv others there's much better people out there who've forgotten far more about improv than i'm going to know so to to try and get that around there, cross pollination. Let's go. And my idea was cool. We'll get a, a troop together. We'll invite other troops down to go and perform at our jams, our shows, and we'll see as many as we can get out there and go and see. We've done a few performances with Missimp, who have been lovely. Who have been yeah, lovely. It's been great to have been up with them. Uh, we've been down and performed with uh, with Cheltenham, with the group down there. We've done a. Uh, we're doing the Leicester Fringe coming up in february we're doing that for the first time uh oh, i'm trying to think where else we've been now uh brighton of course we've done the brighton fringe that was a that was a lovely time getting down there last year we're doing that again this year uh and sheffield we're going up to do a performance on then on dina's second sunday it's been uh frankly again i've been astounded how many new people come in i've been astounded by how much appetite lemprov lemmington seems to have for improv so if we say to people, okay, Sheffield's about three hours away and it's on a Sunday evening, do you guys want to go for it? Yes, yes, we do. Come on, more improv. It's lovely to have that, that demand, well, demands the, the enthusiasm for going and showing up or else what we've been working on as well as learning new things from them has been, been incredible for the, for the people of Lennington. It's been lovely to see. Yeah, that, that oh, I, I'm... I would love to, yeah, be surrounded people with that hunger to kind of learn and to perform, and that's yeah, that's that's amazing. It's yeah, it's a lot of fun. We do a lot of, we do a fair amount of shows in in Leamington as well, and this yeah, seemingly can't get enough of it. We do a yeah, we tend to do it. We do a regular slot in a a, a lovely little art cafe called Temperance, which has a, a theatre style downstairs section. Uh, with the idea that that's the introduct 
introductory show may be the wrong way of doing it. Yeah, probably introductory show. The idea is that we've been performing there for uh, going to be coming up to two years soon enough. Uh, we know that we have a fairly regular-ish crowd who comes in. We get to see the ticket sales. We get to see people who've come in through multiple times. So we get people coming back. Uh, Adrian, who runs the venue, is lovely, nothing but supportive. And because we have that safe, that safe, uh, very supportive venue, the idea is that if you come to Lemprop and you want to do a show, we can throw together a short-form show relatively quickly. I can support you, can feed you into Temperance, and this is your first idea of a show, these regular ones. And then, okay, you've got some stage time. We can throw you out into the range of the wilds of a very mean term for how supportive I've just been talking about this community. But we say, okay, cool. You've you've got used to being on stage. We'll then take it. Yeah, we'll, we'll then take you out to uh, of the jams, take you out to Nottingham, to uh, oh yeah, Birmingham, of course. Formed at uh, John Trevor's night at a thousand trades to take people out to go out all those places is the. Uh, but yeah, the progression of the of the Lemprov uh, of the Lemprov member of joining up the start of a month, working through that to doing a show at Temperance to doing shows here, there, and everywhere is the is the plan. That sounds that sounds that sounds absolutely amazing. <laughs> okay, so I've got a couple of big final questions for you. Ooh. and if someone were to step on stage with you. What could they do to delight you? Oh, this is something I've been thinking about uh, recently. Truthfully, do a three-line scene. I've seen in, in workshops and exercises, people will, in, if you give them like, okay, do an improv scene, people will like the slow burn. Maybe they'll go, it's like, okay, I'll work it out. I'll be a bit more subdued towards you to work out what's happening. Then we work out who we are to each other and then eventually come to some sort of climax. Whereas if you give people a three-line scene, what they're going to do is chaos is happening. What's the chaos? Don't know. We'll figure it out later. But right now there's chaos and I'm going to react to you strongly with it. And they, there's no reason you can't start a scene like that every time. Of like, Jesus Christ, it's happened again. We don't know what it is. We don't know what the problem is. But reacting strongly in the middle of this action is such a lovely way to start a scene. We'll figure out, a, yeah, we'll figure out why we're so strongly opinionated about the chaos that's happening in a few lines. But to be, I'd love to be able to start off as if it was a three-line scene. And then it turns out it's a 20-line scene, but you don't know that at the start. It's a three-line scene. Get to it. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And a big final question. What's your signature move? What's the thing you do that saves the day, that brings the house <laughs> down, that has everyone going? Classic canon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent point. I've got <laughs> a fair few, but I, I managed to, I have a bright orange A5 notebook and I managed to lose it six times a workshop. I don't know how. There's only three places I can set it down. But I do, yeah, that, that happens a lot. People point that out to me a lot in workshops. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad habit of mine. I smoke a lot in improv scenes. I've never, smoked, I've never smoked myself before, but if I'm in an improv scene and I'm feeling nervous, then I've gotten fairly adept at, okay, here's a pack of the cigarettes, shake out one, it's a bit tricky, try and light it, it's tricky. It's something for your hands to do. And I've gotten fairly adept at doing that. That's a, sitting in the corner, smoking, looking angry, and then bursting into it seems to be a fairly, a fairly James move. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And if, if you know, if you are going to smoke, then it seems that imaginary cigarettes, they're the healthy option. <laughs> True. It's a, it saves a lot of money as well, you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I've only got one more thing to say. 
And that's thanks for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. I made this. That's improv! <laughs> <laughs>